When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Josh Rutledge, your co-host for Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support us more, please head over to our website, fearscapepodcast.com. There you can click on store and browse some really awesome t-shirts and maybe pick a couple up. Or even go to our Patreon page and see how you can support us monthly. We love bringing you awesome content just as much as you like listening to it. Enjoy the show. Hello. I'm so glad you could join us. I hope you brought your blanket to hide under. The spooky crew is going to discuss things and events from other realms. Ghosts. Cryptids. Aliens. Be sure to hold your blanket extra tight as the boys take you deep into the fear scale, fear scale, fear scale. <laughs> the Perrin family haunting that was made popular by the 2013 movie The Conjuring, directed by James Wan. In 1971, the Perrin family moved into a 14-room farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island, where Carolyn, Roger, and their five daughters began to notice strange things happening almost immediately after they moved in. It started small. Carolyn would notice that the broom went missing, or seemed to move from place to place on its own. She would hear the sound of something scraping against the kettle in the kitchen when no one was in there. She'd find small piles of dirt in the center of a newly cleaned kitchen floor. The girls began to notice spirits around the house, though for the most part, they were harmless. There were a few, however, that were angry. Carolyn allegedly researched the history of the home and discovered that it had been in the same family for eight generations and that many of them had died under mysterious or horrible circumstances. Several of the children had drowned in a nearby creek, One was murdered, and a few of them hanged themselves in the attic. The spirit that was depicted in the film The Conjuring, Bathsheba, was the worst of them all. Whoever the spirit was, she perceived herself to be mistress of the house, and she resented the competition my mother posed for that position, said Andrea Perrin, the oldest of the five girls. It turns out there was actually a real person named Bathsheba Sherman who lived on the parents' property in the mid-1800s. She was rumored to have been a Satanist, and there was evidence that she had been involved in the death of a neighbor's child, though no trial ever took place. She was buried in a nearby Baptist cemetery in downtown Harrisville. According to Andrea, the family experienced other spirits as well that smelled like rotting flesh and would cause beds to rise off of the floor. She claimed her father would enter the basement and feel a cold, stinking presence behind him. 
they often stayed away from the dirt-floored cellar. But the heating equipment would often fail mysteriously, causing Roger to have to venture down. Over the ten years that the family lived in the house, Lorraine and Ed Warren made multiple trips to investigate. At one point, Lorraine conducted a seance to attempt to contact the spirits that were possessing the family. During the seance, Carolyn Perrin became possessed, speaking in tongues and rising from the ground in her chair. Andrea claims to have secretly witnessed the seance. I thought I was going to pass out, Andrea said. My mother began to speak a language not of this world in a voice not her own. Her chair levitated and she was thrown across the room. Though the movie version of events culminates with Ed performing an exorcism rather than a seance, Lorraine insisted that she and her husband would have never attempted one, as they must be performed by Catholic priests. After the seance was over, Roger kicked the Warrens out, worried about his wife's mental stability. And according to Andrea, the family continued to live in the house due to financial instability until they were able to move in 1980, at which point... The spirits were silenced, and the hauntings ceased. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another frightening edition of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. I am your host, Stefan Gearhart, joined, as always, by my ingenious co-host, <laughs> Josh Rutledge. Well, I definitely like that over lumpishly. Yeah, I well, I didn't want to comment on your body this time. I wanted to comment on your sweet brain. Well, lumpishly is actually a, a, a jab against my intellect. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I could have called you Gump. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We have one hell of an episode today. Uh, we have on the line with us uh, Andrea Perrin, who is the oldest daughter um, of the Perrin family that is known for an exceptionally frightening haunting that happened to them, made popular by the movie The Conjuring. Uh, and we are so thankful to have you on. Hello, Andrea. Thanks for joining us. Oh, hi, Stefan. It's so wonderful to be with you, you and Josh both. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Oh, not as much as we are. <laughs> we are so thankful to have you on. Uh, we love this story. I mean, not not the the sad and hard parts, right. but we're just very excited about this. And it's it's now since become a very popular story. And we know that with you now being an author and uh, along those lines, I want to set some of the story straight. Uh, and all that, and we're going to get into that in just a few minutes. So, uh, but we would love to have you join us for the rest of the show. And uh, so, you're welcome to join in and talking about all the stuff we're going to talk about, like this week's spooky news. Uh, so on this week's spooky news, what I've got, this comes from a website called the mind uh, which, you know, accurate as all get out. I'm yeah. sure. Uh, but I really liked this. Uh, this says, are we living in a multiverse? A physicist says that parallel universes definitely exist and we may soon explore them. Uh, so there is a theoretical physicist named Sean Carroll, and he's expressed that clues in the small-scale structure of the universe point to the existence of numerous parallel worlds. The shocking comments were made on the Jeff Rogan Experience podcast last year. Carroll says that the fact that tiny particles like electrons and photons don't have one set location in the universe is 
evidence that there are many parallel universes. In fact, he said uh, in a follow-up interview with News.com, he expanded on his thoughts. He said, there's a lot more going on than you realize. Not every world you imagine actually comes true. So the common sense rules of physics that rule our lives every day make sense to us, but at very minuscule scales, common sense breaks down altogether. He says that at the quantum level, the empty vacuum of space is filled with tiny particles constantly popping in and out of existence. He says there are still equations, physical rules, patterns that must be obeyed. Some possible alternate worlds can come true but not all of them. So <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot more he goes into, but I think that, that says it all. <laughs> you know, those, those uh, particles he's talking about, those are called quarks. Quarks. Yeah. You ever look them up, they're really cool. Uh, so you're talking about the Ferengi from <laughs> Deep Space Nine? <laughs> no, I think they're called quarks because they're quirky. They oh, quirk, not yeah. quark. Oh, man, your Louisville accent's coming out today. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer in parallel universes and not just yeah. because I'm a comic book fan. I've always kind of thought that. And uh, even talking to um, Todd last week, you know, we talked about, you know, our ghosts really there. What are these things? Are they things that are slipping yeah. through dimensions? Are they dimensional beings? Are they aliens? Are they ultra terrestrials? Right. Could it, or is it all of the above? Check every box. Well, and I'm, I'm reading right now through um, uh, Trojan uh, Project Trojan Horse from John Keel mm -hmm. and uh, just in the very beginning right now I'm like on the third chapter I think and, and it, it's talking about the fact that a lot of UFOs that we see may not actually be tangible UFOs oh so like a projection yeah so to speak that's like, why they can break the laws of physics interesting interesting and now that makes me wonder it's like do they see our dimension if it's a dimensional thing like yeah. are they seeing us or are we just catching a glimpse right they see us they see, yeah, that, I mean, that's where I, th I yeah. think, too. <laughs> I mean, how, how else would they interact with us if they didn't see us? Yeah, right. well, especially so many stories in Mothman prophecies and stuff like that, and just, you know, flashing lights three times, that right. flashes back, yeah. things like that. Mm, stop looking at me. That's what, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Stop looking at me. Just let me look at you. That's, <laughs> that's the way I'm at, like, haunted houses, <laughs> like the haunts. I'm always like, can I just look at your guys' makeup and stuff? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's our spooky news for this week, uh, Parallel Dimensions. Um, so that, that covers a lot of stuff that we've talked about many, many times. Um, but before we get into Creepy Ketchup, I want to bring up our Psychic Word of the Week. And of course, this comes from the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary by June Bletzer, PhD. Uh, this week, the word that I, the phrase that I found uh, might even fit into some of this is called psychic warp. So uh, two Star Trek references and one kitten. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so psychic warp says, this is the invisible path that the psychic or medium uses to perceive into the higher invisible realms or deep into the subconscious mind. So uh, it's it's not as much as just hearing. It's that it's the the energy that's coming out of your mind is warping into the other yeah. mind. I guess, yeah. Well, I wonder if you know they talk about the the possibility, like the whole idea of uh, fabric of space time being like a fabric, like it can be shaped and, and warped, for lack of a better mm, term. Never even thought about that. So, what if psychics have the ability to warp that fabric of space time in order to? Okay. Connect or, or push or whatever the case I didn't even be. think about warp in that context. I went straight to sci-fi. <laughs> I'm thinking like you're going light years fast and uh, or a wormhole or something, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't even think about shaping. 
um, a psychic shape. Yeah. Her. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, thank you, psychic book. Um, that's our word for the week. So psychic I'm ready. Book. I want to get right into creepy catch up, man. Okay. Creepy catch up. Creepy catch up. Creepy catch up. Creepy catch up. Y'all, it's creepy. So yeah, Andrea, we always do every week. We talk about uh, our creepy catch-up for the week. If anything paranormal has happened to us uh, throughout the week, sometimes there's nothing. Sometimes it's just one of us. Uh, and if you've had anything recently happen to you, you're welcome to share as well. Uh, but I know, Josh, you just had something within the last 20 yeah. minutes happen. So so I was, I was downstairs in the studio trying to get things ready. And uh, the door in here is kind of long, and it mm-hmm. drags on the carpet when you open it. So I'm sitting here, and the door's open. I do have a cat, but he's just flowing in between the rooms. But yet I hear the sound of the door opening and closing, like dragging on the carpet. But, yeah, because you got that, that thick carpet. It's not quite shag, but it's thick. Yeah, it's thick. <laughs> <laughs> and which room were you in? The studio room. Oh, so you were in here. Yep. Oh, man. So it was right behind you, too. Exactly. And so you say, so you didn't feel a draft. You didn't feel anything. Just the noise. Just the noise. Yep. Mm, interesting. And it was loud, and it actually happened, and I paused to try to, like, listen for it. And it stopped. And then it, so I went back to work, and, and it did it again. <laughs> um, well, for me, uh, you know, this past weekend, I went up to my hometown of Toledo and went up to Detroit. I went to the Motown Museum. Uh, nothing happened at Motown. I kept hoping Marvin Gaye would show up, you know, <laughs> uh, but that did not happen. Um, but while we were in Toledo, um, my wife goes up to go to bed. And man, it's like, it's like five minutes in. And I hear the, Stefan, will you come up here? And I either... I'm going to have an errand that I'm going to need to run or do, or she's scared. And so, and I'm going to say this jokingly, so if she's listening, I'm sorry. Luckily, she was scared. <laughs> but she's, she's up there, and she's, you know, she's not, she's not a huge believer. Um, she's definitely um, becoming more and more and more over the years, yeah. but um, she's definitely a skeptic. But she was just like, Stefan, I feel like something's watching me. I, I feel like there's a dark presence up here. And she doesn't know. I've lived there before. This is my um, dad's apartment, but he's been there yeah. for like 15 years. And it's like, I've always felt something up yeah. there. My sister, when she was in high school, she has stories of being in that room. And of course, I was like, oh, honey, there's nothing here. I've saged it. I've, I've done everything. But I was just like immediately doing Reiki and throwing up shields and doing whatever I could possible to make sure that she would sleep soundly. Um and so then I go downstairs and I'm sitting in my dad's recliner and it kind of rocks, but I'm just laying there. And all of a sudden it like, like, uh, I don't even know how to describe that. What I just showed you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, somebody grabbed the top of it. Cause I pushed I was, it down. Yeah. And pushed it down real quick. And it made me rock. And mm-hmm. I about leaped out because first of all, I thought I was going to fall backwards. Like yeah. I thought it was going to tip backwards. Right. Um, Cause I was completely reclined and I was like, okay, okay. I got it. I got it. <laughs> You know, I was like, all right, we're good. We're good, dude. We're good. And so that that was all that happened. But between Sarah and then, you know, 10 minutes later after I'm telling her there's nothing right. wrong, boom, I get this pound on the back of the, the recliner that I almost fell out. And I don't like falling. So, oh, yeah. Well, who does? <laughs> People who jumped out of planes. Yeah, it was like, I guess, <laughs> Army Rangers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was my creepy catch up for the week. It was enough to like make my heart stop, man. Mm. Um, but other than that, I didn't. 
have, have had a pretty stressful week just with work and yeah. life and things like that. So I don't know, lots of weird dreams and, and yeah. things like that. But you, you had anything happen recently, Andrea? Uh, I have events happen in my life every day. Every day, I figured as much. <laughs> every step- day, every night. Uh, it is what some people, what most people would consider paranormal is absolutely normal. From- I, w- I was about to say, yeah, that's a lot of my life and my sister's life too. It's just normal. You know, Stefan and I have talked about <clears throat> that there may be some people who are like lightning rods that mm-hmm. just attract that that kind of activity all the time and sounds like you might be one of those and it's like it's one of those things it's like once you're once you've become open to it whether you wanted it or not you can't ever close it off even if you deny it it's it's just there it's it it, you know i always refer to it as it's like you get a jeep and all of a sudden you see jeeps everywhere you know it's it's your mind is is now it's like it can't not see them yeah you know it can't not feel these things because it now your body is is in that mode to feel it and pick it up yeah, um, and to carry that analogy on, um, I used to have a Jeep. I no longer have a Jeep. I still see Jeeps everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you can't turn it off, man. You can't. You can't turn it off. <laughs> All right. Well, that was creepy catch up, and uh, we got one more thing before we get into the interview. We want to get into our UFO sighting of the week. So let's jump right into that. All right, Josh, what do we got this week? So this comes from the National UFO Reporting Center, which I just stumbled across this page, and it is amazing. It's like a national database of reporting. Yeah, you sent that to me last week, and I have just been going through it, man. (laughs) And, of course, you're like, all right, is is this in my hometown? Where else did I live? Where else did I live? (laughs) So this comes to us from Chester, New Hampshire. Uh, This comes from 224 this year. So it says that um, on 224 at approximately 1245 p.m., I was driving westbound on Highway 101. I had entered the highway from the Fremont Raymond uh, exit. As I neared Chester Auburn, I looked up to the right in the sky because a shiny object caught my eye. I initially thought it was a plane, but then I noticed its radical swaying movement and shape. It appeared to look just like a saucer, with a round bulb shape on top, very, very shiny. Looked seamless, like there weren't any noticeable wings or other shapes coming off of it. But because it was swaying, I may not have seen details anyway. The object was swaying or rocking back and forth. I can equate the movement to that of a swing going side to side. Very few wispy clouds in the sky at the time, and none on the side of the sky I was looking toward. When I took notice, I was tried my best to keep it in sight. I saw this for maybe four to six seconds. The craft then disappeared, but only halfway. That lasted for maybe one to two seconds. It was like half of the object was gone, just gone. It looked cut in half. Then it completely disappeared for maybe five seconds or so. I'm trying to give realistic time frame of this event, but I had to admit I was so amazed that what I was seeing each detail described may have been a second or two longer, or possibly even shorter. The whole object reappeared in the sky further to the right by like five inches from my perspective. It then swayed for a few more seconds side to side again, then it just disappeared entirely. No fading away into the sky, just blip, and it was gone. 
Wow. So, you know, this this actually lines up a lot with the stuff that I'm reading in Operation Tro- Trojan Horse. By really? Kim. Yeah. Like, they talk about how these things just phase in and out of existence. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like they're passing from their dimension to our dimension. And so it's not like they've... You, when an airplane arrives in an area, it flies into the area, it stays there, and then it flies out. This is just... it. The blip is it's transferring its physical element yeah. from their dimension to our dimension. Yeah. yeah. It makes you wonder, you know, I'm always, I'm always uh, not concerned, but I'm always thinking about motivation. It's like, if they're just popping in for a blip, like what does that do on their end? Like why, why is that important? Or are they just testing, um, you know, cause we assume that all creatures, right. Uh, of that are, you know, of the same ilk. Right. But maybe they're not, maybe they're different uh, experience levels, different, um, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe it's a teenager learning to fly. Right. You know, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Or like a scientist from some dimension that's like, poof, you know, like I, we want to see, but that's all they were able to get. Right. Yep. You know, whereas other ones are able to make contact and right. and then do things of that. Nature. Well, if I could interject about that type of sighting, please do. Uh, <clears throat> I guarantee you, no matter how many cars were on the road around that individual, that, individual is the only one that saw that that was conscious contact um and it's happening to millions of people all over the world yeah it's happening because they are already connected whether they know it or not and so it is a very as as they um jump dimension to dimension or they cloak uh what they're doing is making their presence known in a very um, gentle way, so as not to, I mean, it would be just as easy for that vessel to have come and gotten right in front of that vehicle, uh, like literally on the highway, right in front right. of that vehicle. And, um, and then that could have easily caused an accident, that could have caused a heart attack, that could have caused any number of, you know, uh, action, reaction, cause and effect. Um, that's not how they interact with us. They're very gentle. They're very discreet. They're uh, very um, targeted in their subjects. And the longer that you are uh, connected, the, the longer that you're uh, making the conscious contact with them, um, the more they will show up themselves and the more frequently they will show themselves. But there are many um, people who attest to having uh, virtually the same type of interaction. And that's interaction. That is. Um, That prompted that person to write to that database to put that out there for countless others to read it. And as they read it, they say, oh, yeah, I remember when this happened. Oh, yeah, I remember when I saw that. And so this is not only coming in and out of our physical plane, our 3D world. It's also a way to communicate with them so that they feel compelled to share it. And the more each and every one of us feels compelled to share our truth, it feels compelled to share our experiences, the more that liberates others to tell their own story. Wow. Yeah. You know, that fits a lot of, um, 
a lot of the books that we've been reading, yeah. especially uh, Alan Greenfield's um, Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. He talks a lot about the um, what you just talked about, the, the mental connection, the conscious connection there. Um, and I definitely agree with that, especially when we look at all paranormal as kind of being similar in a way. You know, why do some people have see things? Why right. do others not? Well, it's like I'm I'm the one that has the conscious connection. Well, and, and going back again to your analogy of a Jeep, if you're shopping for a new car and you're looking at a certain vehicle, you start to see that vehicle. So if you've already opened your mind to the idea or to the concept of this being a reality, mm-hmm. you're more susceptible, I think, to being able to experience those things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That this is not a new reality for us. This is our same old reality. Yep. And what happens is that we're evolving. And so there are many of us who are seeing our old reality with new eyes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yes. You just uh, defined <laughs> a lot of my life right now. Um, but yeah. And, and I agree with that too, because we always ask, we're like, why, why do some people report these and some people don't, especially in this day and age where a lot of people, even though it's like it's more accepted, it's a lot more hokey though at the same time, like people view it that way. And what you said about that, that, that was being pushed so that others can see it that that gives me such an understanding that makes so much more sense well this is really about liberating us from our fear all human beings are fear-based carbon units yes that is, is what we are we live in duality we live in um in, much like the title of my trilogy we live in darkness and light simultaneously and one cannot one is in, indistinguishable from the other unless they both exist simultaneously Yep. So what is happening is that we are evolving. And this is not um, a physical thing. This is really actually a spiritual ascension that is happening. We are right now in the midst of, you remember back in 2012 when a whole bunch of people were freaking out because- yep, I was said, just uh, thinking the same thing. Uh, it's the end of the world as we know. December 12, 2012, I think, are yeah. the end of the Mayan calendar. Um, the Mayans had it absolutely right. They said that basically this is the calendar that goes up to the end of the world. Well, actually, what it did was it forecast the end of the Piscean Age. Yeah. began the Age of Aquarius. And from that point on, we were, you know, since nothing, volcanoes didn't explode and, you know, huge crevasses did not open across the planet <laughs> and nobody fell to their death, uh, you know, and there were a lot of people that were gathered in the desert and having, you know, their, what they figured there was, was their final pilgrimage and so on and so forth, but I'm not making fun of them, you know, yeah, I'm no. not, you know, uh, there were people that were legitimately afraid having um, studied the Mayan calendar, taking it quite literally, that that was the end of the world. Well, here's the truth of it. That was the end of the world. It was the beginning of a new age of enlightenment and awareness and spiritual ascension. And it is what I call the paradigm shift. Um, I also refer to it frequently as holy shift. Um, (laughs) This is... um, this is a, a, a new time and a new age. Um, I've just published uh, my fifth book, and it's called A Wonder to Behold. 
and what it does not even available on Amazon yet. I'm finishing the, the final touches on the hardbound edition before I release it worldwide. Um, but it literally teaches people how to engage with our galactic family, who they are. It explains who we are and why we are here. And the truth of it is that we're not alone. We've never been alone. We will never be alone because everything is energy. Everything yes. is one thing. Everything is existence and everything is consciousness. And I mean, so when yeah, we each a... tap into that singular divine mind, then what we're doing is we're communicating. There are a lot of people I know that uh, you have a, a huge listener base and, and I want you to um, see what kind of feedback you get from your listeners uh, when this airs because uh, a lot of people around the world, uh, a multitude of people around the world, are uh, keeping the ear, nose, and throat doctors um, employed because they think that they have tinnitus. And what they're yes. actually receiving are downloads of information into their computer, i.e. their brain. Wow, you just made both of our mouths drop and our eyes open because me with the tinnitus, it's the same thing. I've always felt that it wasn't a thing. And then Josh has always talked about the download. Well, and then, and then like what a couple weeks back, I showed you the video, the like 36-minute long video that's now up on YouTube that is – like the day after, I, I could best explain it as I received a download and I was just rambling on and on about all these ideas and concepts and everything else that were just spilling out of my body and I had no control over it. Yeah, and it's yeah, cool. and I didn't have any conscious. I, I, I can tell you that what was spilling out of you were not conscious thoughts. You were just saying before you thought. The same thing happens to me. Um, I don't know what information is being imparted to me because it is going directly into my subconscious mind. Yeah. So I can be delivering a lecture in front of a thousand people and all of a sudden something very profound and very informational will come out of my mouth that I never recall thinking about prior to saying it. And this is um, a part of the way that they are interacting and engaging with us. Um, the new book, A Wonder to Behold, its subtitle, and you know, don't blame me for this because they're <laughs> the ones that made me do it, um, is uh, Guideposts to uh, Intergalactic Engagement with Humanity. Nice. And like it that. is, um, not only is it a retelling of every major encounter, close or otherwise, that I have had during the course of my life, but it is also... Uh, a way for me to teach people what I do when I travel around the country. Um, I take literally thousands of people outside for what is often billed as a sky watch. Um, but I have a, I have a connection with the galactic family that is so profound and so um, mutually respectful that I'm not going to say that they come when I call them, you know? I mean, my own dog won't come when I call it. That's <laughs> um, like, yeah, we're working on that, Buttercup. Um, but um, I sing to them, and I sing their favorite songs. And I don't know if they're my favorite songs because they're their favorite songs or they're my their favorite songs because they're my favorite songs. Yeah. They particularly like stuff from the 30s and the 40s, uh, you know, singers and standards. They love show tunes. Um, you know, and I was a professional singer for many, many years. And so that's the way that uh, I communicate from my heart. And this is not contact 
that is generated from the head. You know, if, if we could all just like, you know, clear our minds completely and make our contact with them through our heart. ET had it right. Turn on your heart light. That's yeah. where the point of, of contact is between them. And one of the things that uh, drives me nuts is, you know, that there's so much um, misinformation out there and there's so, and a lot of it is deliberate and it's to keep people fearful of what is a natural evolutionary process that is taking place. They are here to help us. They are not here to have us for lunch. If they had wanted to do that, if they had wanted to, you know, enslave humanity as a race, they could have done it millennia ago. Yeah, you know, sure. we are we are them, and they are us, and we are one. And when people get to the point where they understand that intimate point of connection between us and them, not even. Um, being relevant because it's all one thing it's existence and consciousness when we raise our level of awareness to that extent is when it becomes very easy to see them and so what I do is I take people outside and I just sing to them and the, and the skies fill with light oh, and if, if there's even one person in my group who is fearful about it, they won't show themselves. And so I've learned to tell people, um, or they'll show themselves in a very discreet way and only certain people will see it. Right. Um, and so what I've learned over the course of time, over the years that I've been doing this, is bring your smartphone and turn it sideways and hold it up to the sky. And when you see a light anomaly, click it. Yeah. And it's of thousands and thousands of photographs that we have gotten. Wow. I have people, when we're done with our sessions and they can run anywhere from 15, 20 minutes to an hour and a half, two hours, I've lost time with groups as large as 100. We have lost time. Wow. And so what I tell them is, you know, these are your keepsakes. These are your gifts from them. <laughs> um, and what you need to do is go back and review your photographs and yeah. I'll people standing out and it doesn't matter if it's raining, if it's snowing, if it's overcast, if the sky is clear, it doesn't matter what the weather conditions are because their light is crystalline light and it permeates the densest cloud base you can imagine. It permeates whatever the actual elemental conditions are at any given moment. And it is absolutely unmistakably them. So I prefer a dense cloud base. I prefer <laughs> yeah. because then there's absolutely no mistaking them for a star or a satellite or, you know, there goes the friggin' space station again. Or, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it is unmistakably them. And so I find it absolutely fascinating that when these connections are made, people begin laughing, they begin applauding, they begin weeping, they fall to their knees on the ground. I had a 76-year-old man weep in my arms a few years ago, just weep in my arms saying, I have waited my whole life for this. <laughs> 
That <clears throat> that is amazing. I love it. It's what I do. It's what I was born to do. I'm just over here like, good God, I wish you were in Kentucky because I want to be best friends. That <laughs> so much reminds me of the things that I'm, I'm a singer and actor. I graduated with a musical theater degree and mm-hmm. music has always been a part of my paranormal spirituality. It's spirituality to me. It you is. Know? And I do improv. I've done improv for 20 years and, and, you know, everyone is always like, oh, how can you just so quickly say those things or family? How do you come up with this stuff and I'm like you're kind of giving me answers you know to speak it's like because yeah it just comes from somewhere else like and I've always felt so connected when I do improv and I'm performing or I'm doing monologues or I'm doing public speaking or storytelling or any of that because it just comes from somewhere you know that yeah people struggle with that it for me it's like drinking water it's easy Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm hopefully going to get to see you and meet you because I know you mentioned Toledo and yeah. I have an upcoming in Toledo, I think. Um, I'm not sure. I think it's in April. Hold on. Let me check. I don't think I even put it on my calendar yet, but I've got it. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I didn't. I didn't transfer it. So I'm old school. I got a paper calendar. Um, <laughs> no shame. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I'm sure it's... Uh, it's also listed on my um, my fan page on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. There it is. Uh, off to the right, there's a listing of upcoming events, and I'm going to be in Toledo. And just before I jumped on with you to do this interview, my agent got in touch with me and said, are you available to do Scarefest in Kentucky? You know, I got to go. Over in Lexington, yeah. yeah I said, I got to do an interview. I got to go. I got to go. I'll call you later. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so she uh, she's always very kind because she knows that I'm you know I'm working I I put in an average of sixteen hours a day at what I wow. do. Yeah, yeah, definitely so, Toledo uh, or I Lexington. To so, sure. yeah, I want to make sure that you get a copy of my new book because I would love it. Yeah, uh, everybody. What I did was I had a a special first edition printing done of it with all mm-hmm. the photographs in uh, full color interior. And it makes the photographs explode off the pages. Oh, awesome. And so uh, people will be able to, once I'm done with, uh, uh, I'm adding a few little things and a few photographs to the hardbound edition. um, And I'm putting the finishing touches on it. And then I'm going to release it out into the world on YouTube, my, um, on YouTube, on Amazon. My, um, my publisher is chomping at the bit. Chomping at the bit. (laughs) I well, bet so, Andrea, because I'll tell you, I'm I'm uh, about three quarters of the way through the first House of Darkness, House of Light, uh-huh. and um, I am in love with your style. I just, I absolutely love it. Um, I love all the quotes that you add in there because I, I, that's kind of, I love doing that too. I'm a avid reader of poetry mm-hmm. and literature and prose and I memorize things, it, you know, the way your mother was, it just, that's. I love that. And I'm reading, you know, right now and I'm just, it's like speaking to someone that you care about, that you're close to and just listening to them tell the story. That's what it's like for me um, reading this. So I'm I'm very anxious to read everything you've got now. (laughs) So I'm just in love with your style and we can move right into this a little bit um, and get just move right into the inter- the full-on interview here. But yeah, this book, uh, House of Darkness, House of Light, volume one is the one I'm reading with. There's three volumes. Yeah. I can't wait. And like I said, it's just, it, uh, the way you speak about everyone, 
um, it just touches my heart. Like, you know, about the owner of the home prior to you guys. Yeah. Um, everything and the way you speak about your mother and father, it's just, it, you paint a picture with words that is three-dimensional and it's incredible. Um, thank and I, you. Yeah, and I thank you for that. Um, you know, uh, so it's interesting because before, of course, The Conjuring came out, um, there wasn't a huge amount of stuff because there was no book really written. It wasn't like Amityville where there was like this money-making thing happening and, and things like that. And, uh, you know, watching some interviews with you, we see that it was really – you know, you kind of saying, hey, I want to do this, but your mom being like, hey, well, I've done all this research, you know, and everybody kind of backed you on it. Is that is that correct? Yeah, well, I didn't tell my family. I started writing what I thought was going to be one book, my first book, <laughs> right. in um, 2007. Um, it was like a bell went off in my head, and, and the message that I got was, uh, wake up, it's time, it's time. It was like an alarm clock just going yeah. off in my head. And, you know, I was, I had been uh, a 20-year member of the theater company of Rhode Island. You know, I did stage plays. I yeah. did musicals. I did, you know, I play seven instruments. I sing. Wow. You know, that, that whole part of my life is... Quadruple threat. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I had a, a job that was, um, that I loved. Um, I worked in um, a, a private school for behaviorally disordered adolescent boys. Um, and it was a very challenging job. I was, uh, you know, worked as a therapeutic counselor, um, worked with clinicians and, you know, psychologists and, and teachers. And, you know, we as a team did everything that we could to, uh, to rescue these boys basically from themselves. None of them were born evil. They were made into little monsters. It wasn't their own fault, but it was our job to turn their lives around and get them on the right proper course. Um, and I did that for 10 years and it was very challenging. It was also extremely rewarding. And then one day, bingo, that was it. I went into work. I turned in my resignation. I went to my director at the theater company and I said, it's been a wonderful run, but I'm leaving. <laughs> and, um, and, oh, I thought he was going to have a nervous breakdown. Oh, as an, <laughs> as an actor, I know I, it's hard for me to go, you gave up acting, <laughs> you yeah. know, like being yeah. in the theater. But yeah, I feel that. I feel yeah. that. I had to, it was time. Yeah. And um, I packed up all my belongings and moved uh, my cat and my dog down to Georgia um, with my mother and my sister Christine. My sister Cindy lived down uh, down the street. Uh, you know, all of my I was the lone holdout up in Rhode Island. All the rest of my family was living in the South, and and I knew that I needed to be where my family was in order to really write this this story as authentically as possible. And in, and I call it a collective memoir. Yeah. Because it really does encompass everyone's perspective, everyone's yeah. point, um, you know, and their their own interpretations of what happened there. You know, it, it's um, it it wouldn't have been right for me to do it just from my own perspective. It needed it was all of us, and we were all impacted in different ways. And, yeah, and as and very individuals. Yeah, and I was going to bring that up. One of the interesting things that I found, uh, two things, was uh, it, it isn't always linear, which I really like. You'll take these moments to expound on some other things. Um, it was very interesting. Before we got into the contact, the first contacts and stuff, You essentially a whole chapter that just talked about 
what it felt from everybody before you even got into what it was. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then we got into it. Um, but the, the most remarkable thing to me was when I read, I wasn't anticipating this, was it being written in third person. I expected it to come from your point of view. But because of that, um, it gives the reader a different sense. Not, not only uh, from like a standpoint where, oh, we're looking at this, but knowing this whole time that it is you that it is writing this, to hear how you still describe things, including yourself, is very interesting. And I'm sure that was incredibly therapeutic for you. Well, it was cathartic. And I think yeah. for everybody in the family, because, you know, everyone contributed so much to the trilogy. But um, it was also, I thought it was very important to, uh, um, I, I felt guided by spirit to write it the way that I did. First and foremost, it would have been impossible to do it chronologically. And <laughs> I mean, it really would have been. It, came, it, it appears in print the way it came out of me. Um, and I realized, you know, in review, as I was editing and getting ready to publish, that it was... Um, it was absolutely uh, deliberate on their part to pull it out of me the way that it came out because time is an illusion. Mm -hmm. You know, I what it's interactive literature. You have to admit you're like very involved with it. There are times you're breathing so hard, your heart's pounding so hard, you have to lay it down and walk away for a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's um, but it's meant to draw each individual reader into the story but to the farmhouse you know i wanted my readers to have the same sensation reading the trilogy as we had living at that farmhouse which was a perpetual sense of timelessness yes. because we never knew from one minute to the next if it was 1975 1875 <laughs> 1775 we didn't know you know, I, I've always described it as a, a portal cleverly disguised as a farmhouse, you know, where okay. multiple dimensions exist simultaneously, multiple lifetimes, multiple characters, multiple lives. You know, I, I don't take death seriously because yeah. of living in that house. Wow. Um, I know that it is it is a dying of the vessel, mm -hmm. but there's something uh, in terms of our own mortal existence that absolutely goes on. And still, I'm 61 years old, and I can't tell you any more about what that is. At 61. <laughs> I told you at 12. Exactly. Anyone, anyone out there who claims that they are an expert, that they've got all the answers, run away from them. Run away from them yep. because they are uh, they're living in bad faith. They're lying to themselves. They're lying to you. Well, no I mean, the answers in this realm, no one does. One of the one of the things that has uh, has spewed out of me lately, uh, you know, in, in the in these multiple downloads that I've had, <clears throat> is that um, it, kind of a um, um, a uh, modification, if you will, of reincarnation. In mm -hmm. that, um, in that, the humans, the human soul, or or as you said it before, everything is energy. The what I call the imprinted energy. So the the energy that is now forever and, and forevermore has to be used for intelligent life. So it's no longer can be used for a tree or a rock. It has to be used for intelligent life because it's been imprinted on. And so that imprinted energy uh, has to come back again and again as an individual. But it's not so that they can relive the agonies of, of physical life. It's to give them the opportunity to broaden and 
and uh, and escalate their mind towards <laughs> towards ascension. Um, so the 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 constant reincarnation is just a uh, you didn't get it in this lifetime. We'll give you another chance right. to reach ascension. Right. Well, I think of I think of our trip to planet Earth as soul school. And the test always comes before the lesson. Yes. Um, and in fact, very often the test is the lesson. Um, but what I ask of my readers is to spend, suspend your notion of linear time. Just know. Yes. I mean, the books start chronologically and in volume three it ends chronologically. But from the moment that we step foot as the owners on that mm-hmm. piece of property, Till the moment that we leave that piece of property 10 years later, all bets are off. It is a swirling, ethereal, magical mystery tour of what it was like to live at the farm. And so, for instance, you'll notice there are 10 chapters broken up over three volumes, Mm -hmm. and each chapter has a series of sub-chapters. So, for instance, one little sub-chapter could be a story about Cindy at age eight. The next story could be Cindy at age 14. And so anybody who can only think linearly will say, well, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We just lost six years. <laughs> what are women doing here? And what I'm asking them to do is to pause and reflect on the significance between what happened to Cindy when she was eight and what happened to Cindy when she was 14. What is that causal connection between those two stories? Right. Why are they side by side? Yeah, and then and when you're done reading the entire trilogy, you will see the timeline. You will see that everything happened during the time that we lived there. When you begin the book, you will see all of the catalysts that literally catapulted us to that farmhouse, that called us to that farmhouse. Everything that happened exactly the way that it happened, no matter how horrible had to happen exactly precisely the way that it happened in order for us to leave Cumberland, Rhode Island, and for my mother to go find a place in the country to raise her children. Yep. And that that's what I like. I, I love that you call it House of Darkness, House of Light, because you don't just say, ooh, look at all the spooky stuff. You share all these wonderful moments as well. Yeah. And that's yeah. something that stands out to me. But it, it's interesting the way you write the book, because it's um, oh, I have ADHD and my therapist described it to me and I believed it was that I see things. I don't I don't see the road. I see the entire map. And right. so <laughs> uh, but to me, when I'm trying to like if I'm in an argument with my wife, I see the entire map. So I'm picking cities here and here and here and stops and and it's hard for her to understand me but it all makes sense in the end because it's all part of the entire journey exactly so, uh, because the destination is the journey and the journey is the destination everything is one thing and when humanity cumulatively comes to that realization of oneness when we stop trying to dissect and analyze and compartmentalize everything with our little itty bitty brains and we open ourselves up to divine mind, and we open ourselves up in heart to all that exists, we will no longer be relegated to three-dimensional living. We can pass through the fourth and into the fifth and beyond. And that's right where we are now. That's why there is complete, utter upheaval all over the world. And some of us are leaving, and some of us are leaving of our own accord because it is so oppressive, the weight 
of the worry that is on us as as a society the weight of of the worry that is on us in terms of our global community and what we're doing to the planet and how we're treating each other and anybody that is an empath anybody that is really tuned in and turned on and too sensitive to this stuff can can slip easily into the depths of depression and can slip easily out of this life and be glad to be gone and so one of the reasons that i wrote my new book was not only to express the um, incredibly profound healing that occurred uh, in my life just prior to beginning the process of writing it, um, but it was also to show people that it's not only um, a natural part of life, it is an imperative to allow your heart to be broken wide open. It is something that you must, as, as a, a mere mortal, allow to happen for you because it is only the busting open of the seed buried deep underground that allows that seed to become a sprig and to come into the light. I've just got cold chills. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, wow. It is, uh, so it is amazing that where I am right now in my personal journey as it relates to these topics in, in the, in the, the conversation that we're having right now is so aligned with yeah. where I am right now in that journey. It's like, is this a synchronicity? Is this, you know, the way that the yeah. cards were supposed to fall type scenario? We're um, supposed to have this conversation. Today. Yeah. Absolutely. Because if we weren't, it would have happened. Another Yep. <laughs> exactly. I'm just absolutely fascinated. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, though, to move along is um, the one, uh, I want to say character, but the one person that I fell in love with the most was your mother. Um, oh, phenomenal. She she just, and, and, and it was because of how you, you wrote her, you know, and, and because it, even though it's third person, it's still through your eyes and just this, and to, the way that you wrote this book to honor her, you know, with her uh, ability to recite poetry and things like that. And then here throughout your book are these quotes that only enhance either what you've just read or what you're about to read. Yes. And it's just beautiful. And I, I love that so much. And it was so hard to continue on and to see like you had talked about and how she had just how this whole event affected her and to see how she had lost all that weight and the just the stress that because you write so much that you feel like you're right there with her mm -hmm. and um you know it, it's just she's the character the the person that i that i ref, like responded to the most yeah. and i i just wanted to say yeah I, if we could talk a little bit about your mother my mother is my hero um she is the strongest individual the strongest human being I, I don't even think of her as, as strictly human being. I think of her as a material <laughs> creature. Um, she is um, probably the most intelligent person that I have ever known. And had, uh, in terms of you know my formative years, uh, my love of literature, my love of music, my love of life, it comes from her. She is a perpetual wellspring of knowledge. Um, and you know, when I was writing the books, 
in a, she's the one that titled the trilogy. It yeah. wasn't a trilogy yet. It was just the first book I was in. Uh, I had just moved down to Georgia and I was up to about maybe page 300 and she came over to me one day and I was using her big old uh, antique cherry desk to work on <laughs> at the computer setup. And she came over and brought me a cup of coffee and put her hands on my shoulders and said, how you doing, honey? And I said, oh, mom, this is so hard. You know, whatever made me think I could do this. And she said, oh, you can do this. You were supposed to do this, honey. You were born to do this. Wow. She said, you know, it would be tragic for you not to do this. She said, this is not the kind of story that one should rightfully take to the grave. Mm -hmm. And none of us are capable of doing it the way that you are. And I said, oh, mom, I don't even have a title for it. And she just crossed her arms and she said, house of darkness, house of light. Fantastic. It was both. <laughs> it, was both. it was duality, interdimensional duality. Yes. Is what it was. And she got that. She knew that. And I immediately went to the, you know, the front of my, my Word document. And instead of, you know, I erased manuscript and put in house of darkness house of light and gave it a title that day and she's right this is not the kind of story that one should rightfully take to the grave this happened so that 30 years after we left that house i would find the personal courage to tell our truth to the world which has in turn liberated millions of people Exactly. And, and that's what I was saying is this book, it, it's, it, it's changing me on a deeper level and it's just fascinating. And I'm so glad for just the, the much that I've read to essentially get to know such a remarkable woman. She just, even within the first 10 pages, you can just see how she, excuse my language, but just didn't take shit from anybody, <laughs> you no, know, and no. through everything that happened to her to come out so strong and so remarkable is just remarkable yeah she will she'll never go back to the farm when we left it in june of 1980 she said i'm never coming back here and she has remained true to her word <laughs> and good on her <laughs> she's like i'm leaving this behind this is you know this is over now but when i was writing the books i was like mom you know in the grand overarching scheme of things how do you feel about having lived at the farmhouse for for 10 years of a decade of your life. And she said, it was the most remarkable decade of my life, no matter how much I suffered, no matter what the sacrifices, no matter what happened, it was the most enlightening decade of my life. And she's 80 years old now and she has zero fear of death because yeah, yeah. she said that that was the place where she learned everything she needed to know about life and death and the afterlife. And so she is perfectly prepared when her time comes to morph into whatever her energy source morphs into yeah. and will do so in, I am sure, an absolutely splendid way. Yeah, and she knew, I mean, from the get-go, she knew that this house was in her path for a reason. And yep. sometimes it's not as happy-go-lucky as we wanted to, and yep. I'm so thankful that she found the reason. And mm -hmm. and you, and it sounds as if you did as well, and so that's just great. To hear. Yeah, I mean, well, you think, you think I think even more than that, I'm sorry, Josh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, honey. 
you know, I was just going to say anything that happens to you, whether it be good or bad, you can choose to, to learn and grow from it or you can choose to let it diminish you. Mm-hmm. you know, yes, absolutely. You know, so she chose to let it to grow from it. Well, you know, I tell people in my lectures all the time, I said, you know, the happiest people I know are obsessed with death. But it's not that you're obsessed with death. You're obsessed with finding proof of the afterlife. Well, I'm living proof that I have empirical evidence of the afterlife um, because I've, I've witnessed it, you know, and I am intelligent enough to believe my own eyes, you know, to believe my own sensory perceptions. That's why we have them. Um, you know, and it's very easy to dismiss it as, you know, uh, uh, something, you know, my mind's playing tricks, my eyes are playing tricks, I didn't see that, that didn't really happen. And many people, I'm sure both of you know, many people that have paranormal experiences dismiss them out of hand. Yeah, absolutely. That did not happen, I was dreaming, I was, you know, whatever. Um, but I firmly believed that, um, it was from living at that farmhouse, and we moved there. Uh, I had not long after I turned 12 years old uh, when we moved in. And my baby sister, April, God rest her soul, she turned five. Uh, we moved there when she was five. She passed away in March of 2017. Mm. Oh. Um, and um, to this day, I will never understand how my heart continued beating when hers stopped. Mm. But I know she's with me. All the time. In fact, I have said to her, April, you're not even giving me a chance to miss you. (laughs) Because she is omnipresent in our family and around our family. Um, And she um, makes sure that she watches over us and she makes sure that we get through this tragic loss that occurred quite by accident and yet there are no accidents. The word coincidence is a word that we concocted and conjured to explain away the otherwise inexplicable events of life. It was her time for her to go so that she could do the important work she's doing on the other side. And had we not all lived in an environment that was so perpetually active that we were able to identify what was happening around us in and and other dimensions, particularly what the quantum physicists describe as fourth dimension, which is spirit, then I don't know if we would be suffering more with her loss because we were not able to identify her now. Because as you said earlier in the broadcast, once you are touched by spirit, you can't ever close that door again. And you can turn your back on it. And you can pretend it doesn't exist, but eventually something is going to reach through and tap you on the shoulder and make its presence known. And you can't unthink, unlearn, unfeel, unsee anything that you have experienced in this life. It is, it, it is integrated into your consciousness. It becomes yeah. a part of you. And had we not lived in that environment, I don't know if I would recognize her myriad uh, visits that have occurred over the three years that she has been out of her physical vessel. You know, we talk about a lot about how um, everything that you, and you know, you touched on this too, everything that you experience, see, taste, touch, bring all your senses is all stored away in your brain. Now, some people choose to ignore what they see, taste, touch, feel, whatever the case may be, but it's still there. 
So later on in life, if you decide to, you know, to open up yourself to that possibility, like you said in the beginning, you've, you have evolved your, your, your consciousness or whatever. And so you now are tapping into those things that were always there, but now you're seeing them in a new light. Yeah. Well, interestingly, I had my first conscious contact and I use that word deliberately. Um, I had my first conscious contact with extraterrestrials when I was 13. We were already living in the farm. Um, I don't have any recollection of seeing them or being connected prior to that. And that doesn't mean it didn't happen, but it does mean that this was the first time that I remember seeing something that blew my mind wide open. Um, and then over the course of the years that we lived there, Virtually everyone in our family saw something that was extremely compelling that had to do with extraterrestrials around that farm. And I always considered, uh, whether it be through exposure or even overexposure to um, the fourth dimension, that's what pried wide open my third eye. I have always prized my instincts and intuition over all else. Um, but it was because of seeing, feeling, touching, smelling, um, sensing what was happening in that house around us that I think is what opened me to be able to see what passed overhead. Um, and there's a whole chapter in the new book about that. Um, and it goes into great detail in terms of what I saw. But I saw a flotilla of ships that were seamless and beautiful and the, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life, it was a whole entire flotilla of ships that passed over directly over that farmhouse when I was 13 years old. And it changed everything. And it wasn't until I was lecturing at the Starworks Symposium in Laughlin, Nevada, 45 years after I had that sighting, that I found out, because I had done research on it and I couldn't find anything about anybody else reporting it, but I was looking in the wrong place. And one of the lecturers there uh, talked about, and he was from Canada, talked about having seen it, and we were the same age, having seen it when he was 13 years old. Wow. He did know where to go look. And apparently, this flotilla of vessels, it had one huge main, what people would call a mothership, mm -hmm. and then it was completely surrounded um, with symmetrical, identical, geo geometric forms of vessels that were magnificently beautiful and they were in the shapes of circles squares rectangles quadrangles um i mean all geometric forms but the mothership was so big and of course my perspective is a 13 years old 13 year old i looked at this thing it blocked out the sun it was massive but i can't tell you if it was the size of giant stadium or if it was the size of Manhattan. I don't know. I was, you know, my, my uh, perspective was just not well developed enough to be able to tell you. But um, according to uh, this particular um, participant, um, during his lecture, he said that, you know, he found information about it actually um, in the records from the United Kingdom. And what had happened was it showed up on radar, came over the North Pole, and it went over Prince Edward Island and the east coast of Canada. It came down the eastern seaboard, passed directly over our home in little tiny Rhode Island, um, and went all the way to southern Maryland. And then it made a beeline across 
the Atlantic and it did a grand tour of Western Europe. And when the um, Royal Air Force uh, in the UK scrambled their fighter jets to go after it, it disappeared off the radar in a split second and went back up over the North Pole and it was gone. Hmm. Now, according to the people that have studied this, I mean, I can't tell you the relief that I felt to know that I was not the only one that saw right. this. Yes. However, according to the people that have researched it since, it supposedly passed over approximately 60 million people. Hmm. There were 10,000 reports about it. Now, if one in a hundred reports it, I was a little kid. Who was I going to report it to? Yeah. You know, I didn't know who, I didn't even know what I saw. I couldn't even talk to my mother about it for a long time because, you know, she had enough on her plate to deal with. The last thing I needed to do was run in and say, Ma, I saw this thing in the sky. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, no, no, you know, I needed time to process what happened to me. Um, but if you extrapolate that out, then you can only logically come to one of two conclusions. Either the people who saw it didn't report it or only some of us saw it of the 60 million people that it apparently went directly over the head of it was massive if that thing went over new york city then millions right. of people should have been able to look up and see what was blocking the sun yeah <clears throat> and um so extrapolating it out i have come to the conclusion that only some of us were supposed to see it. Yeah. And then of the ones that saw it, only some of us were supposed to report it. So that years later, when that information rose to the surface, to the light of day, then we could all say, oh my God, I'm not alone. Yeah. Yep. I saw that too. I saw exactly what I just read about. That is what came over the house that is what came over the house you know i i firmly believe because i have seen the dark side of existence i choose deliberately to live in the light Amen. i choose deliberately to be the beacon of hope yes love and to have faith in my own senses and my sensibilities to believe that i'm not delusional you know to believe that and i don't I, Frankly, I do not care. I really do not care who believes a word I say. You know, my life is has been completely transformed by having the courage to speak my truth and to find out that there are countless millions of others that are tapping into that. And it is freedom for them. It provides freedom for them to tell their own story. Because if I was willing to put my personal reputation on the line to, to put our story as a family out into the world for everyone to experience, then their little stories can be told at their next, you know, book club meeting yeah. or out to dinner with some friends. And, you know, this happened to me with somebody that you trust. And then inevitably, the person that you reveal it to has something to tell you in response to what you said to them because they've been withholding their own story. And that's how the human mind connects and opens. That's how that 
works. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite lines from the book, and I quoted it here, um, says, initially, all of their encounters were terrifying simply because they occurred. And woo, when I read that, that gave me goosebumps because, you know, we talk about that a lot. You know, um, I, I get night hags and things like that. And Josh is like, hey, just because something's ugly doesn't mean it's scary. You know, that natural reaction is to just be scared of these things because they occurred. And so when you wrote that, I was like, oh my God. And then I was like, oh shit, what's going to happen? You know, like if, if they're just scared at the things that occurred, that means true terror hasn't even set in yet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and my mother, in spite of all the hardships that she faced in that house, and my sister Cindy in particular, um, had some really tough times there. Um, and yet, you know, my mother and my sister, who um, had both earlier in life, Cindy uh, had a, a death experience when she was two years, two months old. Um, she was undergoing some uh, major surgery um, and they lost her and they brought her back and my mother when she was a young woman um, died from uh, pneumonia and was resuscitated and so I look you know reflectively uh, in retrospect back on the ones that were quote-unquote targeted the most in the house and it was the ones that had crossed over to the other side and the spirits you know the So, you know, I didn't ever have any uh, negative altercations with the spirits. Um, But my fear was about how my family was responding, how my family was reacting to what was happening in the house. Um, I was, you know, I wouldn't say nonchalant, but I was, I guess, more accepting, um, acknowledging uh, their existence in a way that other members of my family had difficulty doing. But over the course, and as you continue to read, the volume two will blow your mind. Volume three will rip your heart out of your body and then hand it back to you healed, and you will not understand how that happened. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Never have I ever said that following that remark. But yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, is, it was um, a transcendent decade of life an absolutely amazing way to grow up um and and i i don't have i do have regrets about how my mom suffered i have regrets about what my sister cindy went through Uh, there were life um affirming and life-threatening events that happened at the farm um the night of the seance that you have not gotten to yet that is in the second uh the second. Um, I, I just wrote down the word seance and showed it to Josh that I was ready to move to that soon. And I, you're reading my mind already. <laughs> <laughs> the Warrens, I don't believe that the Warrens in any way meant us any harm. Uh, Mrs. No. Warren admitted to me 40 years after the last time I saw her when we went to um, have a private screening courtesy of Warner Brothers for the mm-hmm. Uh, and she told me then that she and her husband were in over the over their heads uh, as soon as they crossed the threshold of the house. They did not know what they were stepping into, and nor did they know quite how to handle it. But I don't believe for a moment that there was a malicious or a, 
exploitive bone in either of their bodies. They were yeah, there to I, help us. They I can't imagine that us. either. You know, I really believe that. And, um, and I felt genuine affection and even love for both of them because they believed us. Mm -hmm. They believed us. And, you know, and I didn't think of them so much as authority figures, but I, I thought of them as as adults who had had experiences of their own and perhaps we could share with them what happened. However, mistakes were made and there were really big mistakes that were made. Um, yeah. And the night that uh, my father did not want them there, he did feel that they were there to exploit our family. He was sure. Very, he was very mistrustful of them. My mother felt like they were there to help us and she did everything in her power to be as forthcoming as she possibly could uh but they showed up at our house one night oh and my mother never sought them out they showed up at our home the night before halloween in 1973 interesting another paranormal group that also inexplicably showed up at our home a couple of months <laughs> earlier right uh, sought them out and told them about it keith johnson yeah uh, his brother, Keith and Carl Johnson, and their group, Pyro, uh, showed up at the house. And, and Keith, you know, walked up to my mother and he said, I spoke with you on the phone. And she's like, um, no, I never called anybody or told anybody what was going on in this oh, house. Oh, man. Wow. Uh, but something called him. Something yeah. called him to that farmhouse. And um, he had an experience that day. Actually, he had several experiences. Experiences that day that were so compelling that he is the one that sought out Ed Lorraine Warren at mm. a uh, a seminar that they were giving at the University of Rhode Island, and he's the one who um, told them of our predicament. And then they waited before they came to the house, and they waited until the night before Halloween because Mrs. Warren later shared with my mother that she thought that that would be the best time that they'd have a chance to. Um, encounter spirit or and the veil is, is the lowest right. at that point so yeah. that's when my mother first heard um the um the use of in, in the vernacular the use of the word veil uh yeah. to describe different dimensions and my mother just kind of looked at her and cocked her head in a in a in a quirky way and she said then lorraine there's no veil here and every day is halloween Jeez. You know, um, this, anything can happen in this house, day or night, you know, 24-7-365. And, and so, you know, Mrs. Warren um, spent the bulk of her time, um, you know, getting in-depth with my mother about her experiences. And Ed interviewed us, the five girls, and my father didn't want to have anything to do with them. He thought they were, you know, charlatans, hoaxers. Right. Especially no, back then, for sure, yeah. And, yeah. And, um, and so um, the night that they showed up at our house insisting that my mother was oppressed and that uh, a seance needed to be conducted in order to determine who the culprit was that was causing the problem in the house, they brought a priest with them. They brought uh, audio specialists, um, cinematographers, uh, I mean, my father's head blew off. He was so pissed. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. This is not happening in my home. <sighs> terrible mistakes were made. They brought a medium. Yeah. And she uh, 
well, nothing should have happened in that house with four of the five children present in the house for it. Yeah, foremost. You know, I was 15 years old. I was on the threshold of womanhood, but my my sisters were not prepared for this. And Nancy was the only one that wasn't home. Everybody else was there. Mm. And, you know, we were all told to go upstairs. Yeah, well, you know how long that lasted. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and that's what I see. I see here that you uh, claim to have actually witnessed the seance and that you saw her speaking a language and out of this world and to see her chest. My mother almost paid with her life. what I consider to be spiritual malpractice. I cannot even imagine. When the medium started conjuring the spirits, you don't go into a supremely haunted house and then, you know, throw open wide doors to the netherworld and invite everything in so that (laughs) you determine who's causing a problem in the house. (sighs) You know, and uh, my mother was, my mother's body was drawn up into a ball to the extent you would expect to hear her bones snapping. Oh, God. Was she threw her head back and howled like a banshee. She screamed and writhed in pain. And I'm standing looking through a two-inch slit in the door in a darkened hallway trying to keep my sister from throwing up or passing out in my arms. Mm-hmm. And um, watching my mother being levitated in the chair in which she sat. And then in a split second tossed from the middle of our dining room into the middle of our parlor and when her head hit the floor i guarantee you everybody present in that house thought they had just witnessed her die and my father went you know to run to to help her and ed grabbed his arm to keep him away from her and my father turned around and he punched him right in the face yeah it was it was a horrible thing it was a horrible thing I understand how this version of the truth didn't make it into the Warren file. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It did not necessarily reflect well on them. Um, You know, Ed telling us not to call the police or call an ambulance. Right. When he ran into us in the hallway when he was heading toward the bathroom to clean up his bloody nose. Uh, It was, uh, it was a horror. It was the worst night of my life. It was the worst event of my life. And I am grateful every day and will be every day for the rest of my mind. Mm. Like mother has no actual memory of it. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's that's the mercy. That's the blessing. Yeah. But I will tell you that whatever came into that house that night was not a ghost. It was not a spirit. I don't know if it was a demon because I've never seen a demon. I don't know if demons exist. I know that it was purely negative energy. Right. It was pure, unadulterated evil. It had all the power that it needed to claim my mother's life, and that was not its intention. It mm. could have killed her if it wanted to. It didn't want to. What it wanted to do was make its presence known to yep. everyone that was in that house. And so when I say to you, I have seen the dark side of existence. I choose deliberately to live in the light. Those are the most important words that I will say to you or to anyone else because each one of us during the course of our lifetime will see or experience something horrific. And we need to be able to be strong enough as individuals to understand, to comprehend, to interpret why that is happening in our lives when it does so that we can find the silver lining under, I don't care how big the dark cloud is, there is always a silver lining. There is a reason why it happened. 
and that I can remember this event as clearly as if it happened five minutes ago as I'm having this conversation with you now tells me that it was seared like a branding iron into yeah. my consciousness, into my memory. And there's a reason for that so that I can tell you, so that I can tell anyone who asks me about it, this is what can happen. So every paranormal group out there that declares themselves the world's leading paranormal investigators, when the ink on their t-shirts isn't even dry yet, needs to understand that, yeah, you might think it's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. Yep. Yep. Wake up. Yep. Yep. In, in, inexperienced people doing inexperienced things. Yep. Wow. Yep. And what we need to do is listen to the people who are credible sources with incredible stories. And I consider myself one of them. As do we. Yeah. And we just want to say again, Andrea, thank you so much for spending this time with us. I, I, I wish we had four hours. Well, <laughs> it's been my pleasure. Both of you are supremely professional, but I, you know, I, and I appreciate your professionalism, but I also feel your hearts. Yeah. With Josh before now, and now I know you, and I'm sure we will meet. And I, oh, I guarantee it. On your podcast, anytime, I'm sure there are a hundred questions we didn't even touch on yet. So no. <laughs> I am at your disposal. I will make it work with my schedule. I am always happy to um, conjoin with like-minded individuals. <laughs> and, um, and I deeply appreciate the opportunity. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I, I, I mean, you've, you've opened my heart like to a lot of this yeah. stuff and, um, and it, it fits a lot of what we're trying to figure out on our own right. as well. And like I said, there's definitely a, a, a good connection there and I, I appreciate you recognizing that as well. And, uh, you ever need a laugh, just let me know. I'm a comedian. So <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what I will do is I will leave you with what is probably my most famous quotation, and I don't even know where I wrote it, but people always use it. And it is this, um, the safest assumption that we can make is that we know nothing compared with what there is to know. To be touched by spirit is a blessing, not a curse. It is that momentary experience where we learn from where we come and where we will return. Be not afraid. Wow. That is very impactful. That's, um, that's fantastic. So, Andrea, I wanted to ask uh, real quick, is there a, um, what is the name of the new book? The new book, which will be out worldwide probably by the end of the month. People can get it directly from me also with the full color interior, but it will be out in black and white all over the world probably by the end of March, uh, based on how anxious my, my uh, publisher <laughs> is to get it out because he's read it and his mind is like blown wide open. Um, but the title of the new book is called A Wonder to Behold, and its subtitle is uh, Guideposts to Intergalactic Engagement with Humanity. And I am very anxious to uh, get it out. I am working on it consistently to make sure it is absolutely perfect uh, in the hardbound edition with some additional photographs added and a little bit of additional text because stuff's always happening. Um, but um, it is, it's the greatest work of my life. It is hands down, no competition, the best work of my life. That's and, awesome. Yeah. And I can't wait to share it with you. And when we meet, I'll make sure that you get a signed inscribed. Right. 
And we will absolutely promote it when it comes out, as we already will be with the books that you do have. Like I said, not just because I feel I need to, but because I have become an absolute fan over the past week. And uh, it's just beautiful writing. And um, before we go, I wanted to see if there was, uh, where can people find you and uh, all that stuff if they want to follow you online or social media or things like that? Because we want as many people that don't yet know to get uh, plugged in. Well, I have five pages on Facebook, um, and thank God I have friends who are admins because I can't keep up with all of it. But they can find me at my main page, Andrea Perrin. They can find me at A Wonder to Behold, at House of Darkness, House of Light. That's my book and author page for both of those uh, bo- both of those offerings. Um, and my fan page, which is called The Buttercup Brigade. Um, and it's, uh, you know, for those of us, uh, the good deed doers in the world that can only see the world through rose colored glasses, cause it's really the only way to look at it. Um, and so that's my fan page and it's got the least amount of people on it. We keep it small so that it, that's a place where I can interact with people individually because my main page has like 25,000 people on it. So it's really hard, you know, to interact and it's always, yeah. up, you know, it's like, it's always full, but if they go to the Buttercup Brigade, um, we can bring them in and then I can interact with them individually. I love that. Uh, they can also go to my page, A World Awakening, um, and that's uh, I, I put a lot of uh, sometimes controversial but always fascinating stuff gets posted there. So the good um, stuff. So yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm all over Facebook. All they really need to do is Google my name and just take their pick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love it. Yeah. And uh, stick around for a second after we finish wrapping up because I'd love to give you a proper goodbye. But okay. uh, we're going to wrap up the show here. But thank you guys, everyone tuning in. Um, you've heard some amazing stories. And of course, if you have any stories you want to share with us, send those to fearscapepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we love collecting your stories, whether it be paranormal, whether it be haunting, whether it be UFO, whatever it may be. We we want to listen and we want to share. Right. And, uh, you know, if, if you haven't gone out to our website, fearscapepodcast.com, that we do have a store there where you, we've actually got about uh, 10 or so new t-shirt designs mm-hmm. that are up for anybody to get. And uh, we've also officially launched a Patreon if anybody wants to help support the show. Yeah. And right now we're doing a special. If you're in uh, Wicked uh, tier and above on Patreon, you're going to get a free t-shirt. Uh, so you get to pick whichever one you want. So that's pretty groovy. Yep. Uh, might e- I might even put a t-shirt with my own face on it. It's my <laughs> face. Uh, but no, thank that you guys <laughs> so much for tuning in. Andrea, thank you so much for joining us. My and uh, we will see you guys next week. And this has been Steph and I'll catch you on the flip side. This has been Josh. The truth is out there. All right. Remember, folks, hold those blankets extra tight. Good night, everybody. Good night. I'm so glad you were able to join us for that horrifying discussion. I hope they didn't frighten you too much. Tune in next week for even more research into the nightmarish and haunting creeps and spooks that we tell ourselves don't exist, but we know they do. Make sure you have your blankets that you hold them extra tight. Next time on Fearscape. <laughs>